Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, they're back. The NBA's got a deal. I guess it needs a rubber stamp from the Players' Union. But from all the stuff I've been reading, they are uh, so in lockstep, so involved in the uh, plan to come back that uh, it's not even going to be a full vote of the membership. So while the labor issues in baseball seem significant, in basketball seems like everybody's on the same page, and they're going to give Orlando a shot and see how this goes. The vote was 29 to 1. Only the Blazers objected, and apparently they didn't like the way the format sets up. They wanted something uh, that was a little more innovative. So I don't know if they thought there should be some 14 play-in tournament or what. Might involve the lottery odds, too, because if they don't make it, if they don't make it, they're going to be a lottery team, but way at the end of the lottery. So they're going to use the lottery. They're going to let the playoff seedings be impacted by these eight games. You'll add them into the regular season standings that already exist. But for the purposes of the lottery, they'll use the standings when the league stopped on March 11th. Not a big factor for the Jazz. For the Jazz, it's a question of how good can they be without Bogdanovich? How quickly can they get back in to kind of recapture their mojo, their momentum, and uh, really, you know, really be clicking? It's a precise offense, and how quickly do you get that precision? At least relative to how quickly everybody else is able to execute it at a high level. So it's going to take a while. There are players in the league who went overseas who are going to fly back to the U.S. and be quarantined for 14 days. So no games until July 31st. Eight regular season games, and then away we go into the playoffs. So, for the Jazz, now they got a plan, and it's uh, what Joe Ingles wanted all along. You're going to hear from Joe coming up, and uh, and we will get to that. These regular season games, the eight games, which adds up to a total of 88 games, uh, reportedly worth about 300 million dollars. So, if you got a chance to three to to make 300 million and Improve your product, and I do think the playoff games will look better if they get to play these eight competitive games first. And there'll be something at stake in these first eight games because there's just not much separation. You know, the Jazz could get as high as three. I don't think they can catch the Clippers at two, but they could get as high as three. And Well, mathematically they could, but realistically I don't think they will. I think realistically they're going to end up somewhere between third and seventh. Realistically, I think the same thing today that I thought when the season stopped. And that is the Jazz are on track to play the Rockets, the Nuggets, or the Thunder. Which one? I don't know. It depends on how it plays out. Which one should they want to play? I I really can't answer that now that we've had this three-month layoff. Uh, I just don't know who's going to come in and look like a million bucks and who's going to come in and play a bunch of clunkers and really never get that rhythm and momentum going again. Certainly, without Bogdanovich, the Jazz are taking a hit. Do they have the guys to make up for it? Maybe. Um, the way the West is going, I think it's the Laker, Laker Clipper final. Um, you know, Will there be an asterisk on the title? Not if the Lakers or Clippers win it. Um, and probably not if the Bucks win it because they got the best regular season record. But it depends. Do they stay together? Does Kempo win more titles? What does that look like? Uh, but I think if anyone outside of those three win it, yeah, it'll probably be an asterisk. Um, and I think it would be a disaster for the league if the Lakers and Clippers lose in the first round. First, you're losing stars and big-time teams. But if... Seven and eight, both upset one and two. Ah, assuming the Clippers stay at two, because the Nuggets could catch them at three. Um, maybe somebody else could catch them, but the Nuggets are the most likely. Uh, you know, I think that'd be a disaster. You need you need one of the favorites to win, and you need most of the favorites to make deep playoff runs. I think that's 
<laughs> I think that is really important at this point. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. DJ and PK coming up. We've got uh, we got to get to Joe Ingles. He's coming up later in the hour. But coming up next, going to talk a little football and, uh, and just the headlines of the week with Brian Keel, the former BYU uh, linebacker, played for the Giants and the Rams. A lot of questions about what he has seen uh, with the with the protests and the rioting and the looting and uh, all his take on what he's absorbed. Brian Keel coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Brian Keel joining us now, former BYU and NFL linebacker. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy. Get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Doing all right. Been watching a little bit of TV, and you've lived around the country and all that, and I'm just curious, what's the media missing? What do you want to see reported? What do you see out of all of this? Oh man, that's a, <laughs> that's a, we don't we don't have long enough show for me to to get into all of that. Um, there there's so much getting missed. Um, it's uh, there's just there's so many tragedies going on right now, and people on every angle, every side, every color, every race, every political spectrum. There's so much of an agenda. And everybody wants to just point to what is important to them. There's no communication. Um, there's no understanding. There's just too much shouting. And uh, there's, there's just, it's, I mean, and what you said, you're watching TV, that, that's just the manifestation of this lack of understanding is, is the mayhem that is just ripping across our country. And it's, it's, it's just tragic is the only word that I can adequately sum it up. When you're in college in the NFL, a lot of different races in locker rooms. How do they manage to get along? Uh, you know, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Um, I don't remember who it was, but uh, um, I, anyway, I mentioned a tweet that I saw of a, from a former asshole. He, he tweeted something out that point. He pointed out that society, if only society could function like a locker room does, and you know, by and large, every football locker room is a very mix of social, racial, um, spiritual, and um, even even economical varying demographics. And you have a whole, the whole gamut in, in that locker room. And by and large, everyone gets along. And a, a big part of that is because they're united in a common purpose, even though they come from differing backgrounds. Um, they're united in a common purpose and a common goal, and, and that's to, to, to be a team to win a championship. And, and it's the same, high school, college, NFL. You have a, a, a mixture, mixed group united in a common purpose to, to win a championship. And, and so be, because they're united, they overlook those differences. And that's 
essentially what society needs to do. Obviously, society is completely mixed in all of those categories and all those backgrounds, but I think that's the problem is a lot of us, we're not united in our common purpose, and so we don't work together. We just shout over each other, and, and, and we don't function like a locker room does where there is brotherhood and camaraderie and, and joking and, and ribbing and all that good stuff, but there's also respect and understanding and good-naturedness. And, yeah, that's, that's what society needs to, really needs to imitate. And I can't recall, you know, every team you've played on, high school, college, and pro, how every season went. Is it the same when teams are bad as when they're good? Because I think we all get that the Chiefs had a lot of harmony on the way to the Super Bowl because winning's fun and winning will, you know, smooth a lot of stuff over. But when teams are losing, is it still that good? Yeah, so obviously there's different things to that the team focuses on. But, yeah, I have been on both ends of it. Um, my, my rookie year, um, the Giants were just coming off uh, a Super Bowl over the Patriots the first time. And, and my rookie year, we, we were the number one team in the NFC, had a, a really kind of on our way to another Super Bowl until Plaxico shot himself in the leg. Um, but anyway, so that was a really good team that I was on. And they contrasted. Um, I was on a St. Louis team that was worse in the league. Um, that went two and fourteen, and so you know I, I saw both sides of it, and um, it's kind of interesting because winning brings out different dynamics, and losing brings out different dynamics. And even you know when on that St. Louis team, you know that I was on that was this terrible, and I was also on a, a Kansas City Chiefs team. I was there for half the season one year, um, and, and the, the team went two and fourteen that season. The year before, Andy Reid got. Um, and, and, and a terrible team in terms of football, and same with St. Louis, terrible team in terms of football. But, you know, the team, you, you, uh, you kind of grow together against that adversity. And, and so winning, losing, the teams, they function, the guys get along, because uh, you're still in it together for a common purpose. And, you know, that's what society needs to do. There's, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong with America. And, and you know, you asked at the beginning, you know, what's the media missing? If, if you came from a different planet and, and you landed here and you knew nothing about Earth and you listened to the media, you would think that America is the absolute worst place in the universe, the, the way that it's portrayed in, in the media. And it's, it, America is not even close to perfect. Of course not. But it is the single greatest country in the history of the world. And if you don't recognize that and acknowledge it, you are either ignorant or blind or obtuse or a combination of all of them. And it doesn't matter what metric you want to look at in, in terms of, of prosperity, in terms of uh, lifting up the downtrodden, in terms of saving them, in, in, in terms of philanthropy, in terms of innovation, scientific uh, breakthroughs, however you want to look at it, this place that we're so fortunate to li- enough to live that is not perfect, that has a history of racism, of bigotry and prejudice, and that has all sorts of scars and imperfections, nevertheless, it is the greatest country in the history of the world. And just that right there, the fact that people can't acknowledge both sides of that coin is frustrating to me. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm to get on a soapbox, but it just, it really bothers me. 
I'm always fascinated by how people in whatever their given environments are, how some folks succeed, some folks don't. And they come from a lot of, if not the same family, similar backgrounds and all. I want to touch on the subject of adoption, and I think most folks know that that involves you. And and I have a little bit of experience with it, and I know for some uh, it was easy to accept, and for others it had just caused all sorts of issues and created tons of problems and with you being in that situation how do you think you were able to succeed so that's a great question and again you know i wish i had you know a lot a lot of time to really answer it properly but um first and foremost i was blessed to have the greatest parents that any kid could hope or wish or dream to have um gary and nancy keel are are special people and I mean, I, yeah, like I said, I don't have time to really go into uh, the depth of, of their specialness, but um, that, that was the, the first thing, that, the first key to my success was, was parents who, who genuinely treated me and loved me and, and all of my adopted siblings no different than the three natural kids that they, that they birthed and parented. Um, there was no difference in our treatment. So it, it, it just from the jump, that was the biggest biggest um, building block to success is the way they treated treated me and treated my siblings. And, um, and then on top of that, uh, you know, it's it just me personally having an understanding mind and, and just, a, a, um, I don't know, just a, a positive and optimistic outlook on it. And I understand, you know, not everyone is blessed with that situation and, and the fortune that I had to come to a good home. And there's a, a very mixed um, results in, in terms of the home and the structure and the support and the love that it offered. And so I understand that, but um, my parents, they had the highest expectations for us and they, they gave us resources to succeed. They, um, we, they were, they were disciplined for us. They, they, you know, we were accountable for our mistakes. Um, they expected a lot of us. And, and when we fell short of those expectations, they let us know and there were consequences and, um, just so many things I could go on and on, but um, yeah, I mean that's it was it was it's been a blessing in my life, and I'm you know just forever grateful for the the opportunity they gave me. And I understand that there's a lot of different situations that I could have ended up in, and I have empathy for those kids that don't have the the luck and the good fortune that I have. You know, going to my extended family, I can think of a half dozen adoptions off the top of my head, different generations. And you're right, it plays out different reasons. And I've heard some of the conversations and it's just absolutely mind blowing. And, you know, you think after you know two or three or four of the stories, but man, the fifth one still blows your mind. So I don't uh, we could probably discuss this for the rest of the show and it'd be fascinating. Um, but I also wanted to talk to you about football coming back. You know you're talking to a lot of Uten Cougar fans, Aggie fans, Wildcat fans, NFL fans. It seems like it's coming back at the college and pro level. I'm pretty confident that we're going to see games here pretty quickly. But I know it's not a done deal, and I'm wondering as a player, what is the biggest hurdle? Even if it's probable to happen, which I think it is, what's the biggest hurdle in a player's mind right now? Um, you know, I, I think um, in their mind, you know, it's probably just the fear of, of what society will think about them, about the dangers of, 
of exposure. And then also, you know, some players will have the same fear of exposure, not just what society views that are and society perception, but fear of personal exposure themselves. That, that's probably the biggest hurdle in their mind. Um, but, you know, most athletes are wired differently. Uh, and, you know, I, I can't speak for, for every athlete, obviously. I can only really speak for myself, but I have been around a few number of, of athletes, and I have a decent understanding of how they and myself are wired and how we think. And um, most, of, most of us, we're wired differently. We want to compete. And, um, and we, we also are more willing to take risks than we are risk-averse just in general um, by our nature compared to the, 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 the standard populace. And so my, 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 my guess is, and I don't know, but my guess is most players at the collegiate and the professional level are anxious to get back. They're, they're willing to take a heightened level of risk in order to get back to, to what we do. And, and I personally feel that the risk isn't as great as it's being made out to be. And especially, it, it actually will be really interesting to see in the next couple of weeks if there is a huge spike in cases and, and, and deaths from COVID-19 because of all the people that have not been social distancing. That will tell us a lot. If there's not a huge spike in the next couple of weeks, that will tell us a lot. And, and we'll, we'll learn a lot regardless, you know, thanks to the mayhem that has gone on for the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I think that the, the leagues need to get back into, into play. I think that it's important for society on a, on a number of levels. And, and if I was still playing, I wish I was, if I was still playing, I would be doing everything I could to push for it to happen. You think sports can set an example to, to restore uh, whatever form of normalcy we have? I do. I, you know, uh, Tony Jones had a good poem um, the other day that I read, and he, he pointed out that it's probably good right now that sports aren't happening. Uh, I think the word he used was the deodorant to mask this injustice that's going on um, in, in, in our society. That's, that's, that's been perpetuated for, for centuries in our society. And, and I agree with that. Um, you know, it, it's probably good right now that we don't have the distraction because there are legitimate injustices in our society that have not been dealt with that need to be fixed. Um, that being said, I, I think part of why there's so much mayhem going on right now is the fact that everybody was cooped up for two and a half months inside their homes. Um, Forty-some million Americans lost their jobs. There's financial uncertainty. There's um, health uncertainty. There's fear being promulgated and spread um, some deservedly and, and much more undeservedly, high and low. And so people have been stirred up into a panic, and that is absolutely contributing to the mayhem that's going on right now. And um, just mental health, just in general, you know, this is just under attack right now. People are, are anxious. They're depressed. They're, they're fearful. There's just so many emotions going on. And I think sports is, is a great outlet. I think it's just a fantastic release from the pressures of society and politics and work and mortgages and diapers and all the things that we as humans that we deal with and we face. I think sports is a fantastic way to get away from those things, to relax, to root for a common team, to cheer, to cry when your team loses, to cry when your team loses to their rival up the state nine times in a row. Um, I personally, I, I can't wait to get that distraction back. And I think it's important for society. 
You expecting higher quality football or lower quality football? I mean, these are off-season workouts and the whole structure of them. College and pro, and there are different changes at different levels. But have they really lost a lot this, or are we going to find out that that was kind of busy, make work, you do something because you got time, but it doesn't really impact winning and losing? Yeah, so I think at the college level, you'll see a bigger drop-off than at the professional level just because of the nature of, of the individuals, the skill level of the individuals involved, and just the attention to detail to their craft. The professionals, um, by and large, will have spent more time to stay in shape, to stay on top of their game, and to be ready to go when and if the season rolls around. Um, the college kids, they don't have the financial they don't have the, the motivation and just the skills um, to, to compete or to, to stay competitive at the same level. I don't think there will be a huge drop-off, but I think if there is a drop-off, there will be more of one at the college than the, the professional level. The good thing about football, uh, different than other sports, like you take golf or you take basketball, if you know those, those sports, there's going to be a, a, a bigger drop-off when you haven't been on the court or on the, on, on the course um, because there, it's so much about touch, about rhythm, about mechanics, and those things are quick to go when you're not getting reps, when you're not practicing, when you're away from it. Football, most of the positions in football um, is not of so much about precision and about finesse and, and mechanics. Um, the quarterbacks absolutely are. Um, you know, kicking game, those sort of things. But, you know, linebackers and offensive linemen, um, you know, defensive backs, you know, those guys, they've been able to, to really stay in shape and, and practice the things that help them get better. And so that's a good thing about football is it's not going to get affected as much as some of the other sports. So you mentioned that nine in a row, Brian. It's not going to get to ten, is it? <laughs> I, it's, dude, it's gotten so bad. I just I – just, I, I don't even know what to say about it anymore. And, you know, I love the rivalry. I'm, this is nothing new. I, it's, it's fantastic. And I love talking trash. And, and it's gotten to the point, it's like I can't even talk trash anymore because what can I freaking say at this point? It's just so embarrassing. There's this whole generation of kids that have never seen a, a Cougar win. And it just, it's something that we need so bad. We just, we just need it. I need it. All of us need it. My kids need it. And so... Uh, is it going to get to ten? I don't know, but I oh man, I would I would I would sell a lot. I would give a lot. I would pay a lot to see a Cougar victory this fall. We need it, man. Well, I think that's a good opportunity for trash talk, DJ. As Brian said, <laughs> what can BYU fans say? Trash talking. I you know I, the, the pro, that's the problem. The only thing we can say is is um, in my day or. In the 80s, and it's, that's getting lame at this point. And so, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's, it's to the point where we can't really say anything. On, I guess the only trash talk we could say is, you know, we could take it to the other sports and take it to the school um, and the academics. But, you know, that's kind of a cop-out. So, in terms of football, there is no – the trash talking is over because we have played like trash for, for the better part of a decade. And so, we need to do our talking on the field. Um, I, 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 I think we have every chance to win every single time we play those guys. Um, and for, for a decade now, they have found a way to win. Most, almost every game has been close. Um, you know, there's the one year where we had a crap ton of, well, we have a crap ton of turnovers every time, but there was the one really bad year that got away from us down in Provo. Um, and that one was ugly. 
But other than that, every game's been close, and Utah has found a way to win at the end of the game. And we just we got to find a way to flip that script. Brian, if you don't say something, I'm going to get a whole bunch of tweets about how last year's game wasn't close. Wasn't close? He said most of them. Um, I mean, I, yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't close as the other ones, no. Um, it was very, very close until a pick six flipped it up wide open. Yeah. Um, the first half, yeah, obviously, it, was extremely, extremely competitive. Um, and that's the thing, you know, it's, it's, all, it's turnovers. It, that has been our biggest Achilles heel every single year. We just, we just gift points to the other team. And Utah is extremely opportunistic. They're extremely efficient at getting turnovers, at, at, at scoring off turnovers, because turnovers aren't worthless, but they're next to worthless if you don't score off of them. And Utah is very good at scoring off of them. That's the, the biggest way that you, BYU will up, upend this streak and win is not coughing up the football. Well, Brian, I mean, I think as you go to, Wilson's knee was down on that pick. Plus, if I remember, it was by Francis Bernard, who got his start at BYU, and it wouldn't have been nothing if not for BYU. There's, There you go. That, he's our guy. He's one of our guys. We, we prepped him, and then he came back yeah. and ripped our hearts out. So. Right. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, and it's just, honestly, that game, um, what a coulda, shoulda. Who knows what happens if that – that play, that play changed the whole game. And the, the, the tragedy of that play is Tyson Williams was wide open and, and would have you know, at least got 20, 30 yards um, if Wilson could have just got the ball over, um, over Bernard and, and into Tyson's hands. But would have, could have, should have. Utah got it oh, done. Yeah. We didn't. No, that, Williams would have caught it and he would have scored and you would have won. We would have won, exactly. I'm taking that to yeah, the bank. <laughs> All right, Brian, we'll leave it there. We appreciate a few minutes, as always. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's good to chat with you guys. Um, just in parting, I'd just like to say to every listener, um, just love. Just love, man. I, I love being alive. I love sports. Uh, you know, I love the human race. And I just uh, I hope that people can, can overcome the differences and be like a, a, a sports team locker room and just push towards the common goal of appreciation, dignity, and the advancement of the human race. There's Brian Keel, the former BYU linebacker who played for the Giants and the Rams. When we come back, Joe Ingles. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles joined us yesterday. Now, it was before the announcement, uh, the NBA coming back. There are no real surprises in it, but you'll hear Joe say, hey, I don't know what it's going to look like exactly because the announcement hadn't been out yet. And as he says, it was handled mostly at the leadership level to the point that they're not even going to have a vote of the entire union. They're just going to let the leaders uh, approve it, which I think really comes down to a rubber stamp. Um, All right, here's Joe Ingles. A little dated, but uh, Joe says some interesting things, and he's entertaining, as always. Here's Joe. Hey, yeah! 
This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Ah, there's a different tone to your voice. It's not good morning. There's progress being made. We don't have to beat the same old topics. I've had two coffees already. (laughs) Oh, nice. All right, that does it. Uh, So I'm curious now because you told us earlier, you know, you're tired of the wait and you want to know if you're going to play or not. And now we know your wife is pregnant. So the timeline of when you're playing has been really important to you. And, you know, a while ago you didn't want to get into all of that with us. And we get that. But now... Who yeah. said I want to get in there now? No, now you're starting to get some <laughs> answers. Yeah, you know, you know, there's still a bunch of personal life you don't need to discuss on the radio. But I think that now we're starting to hear about the plan, the dates, and the timeline. And I'm curious if this has resolved some of the issues in your mind or if it's created even more issues in your mind. Um, honestly, probably a little bit of both, to be honest, because I, I obviously had said what I said originally when I, I was on the podcast with, with Sam and had said it, at that point there was no way I'd be willing to play and, and obviously uh, at that time that I said that they were, well as unknown as a lot of the stuff is still now with the virus um, there's a lot more kind of clarity to it and obviously being in the community in Utah and going to the supermarket a few times and, and kind of doing um, I wouldn't say like a, what we regularly kind of normal life, but um, you obviously realise what you can do to, to obviously be as smart as possible to, to, to not do it, to, to not catch it or, or bring it home. So um, the good part is obviously, like you said, the dates and the um, I guess the idea of us playing is starting to um, look like it's going to be happening, I guess. Um, I think there's a vote. I think it's today or tomorrow or something. There's a vote. By, I don't even know who's voting, but someone's <laughs> voting, um, and I'm not voting. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who's voting for me to play or not. But um, it obviously looks like that kind of July-ish timeline, and um, so that that stuff obviously starts to kind of clear up, and you can, I guess, like pencil in where you're kind of going to be in a time frame. But then obviously. Um, the flip side for me, which makes it hard, is, is what you do with your family, um, being away from, from your family for potentially two, three, I don't know how what the max date is, but it, potentially it's a, it's a lot of time. So um, that throws a, a spanner in the works of, of what happens, but um, obviously if we go and play, I, I want to be there with my team and um, help our team win. So... Um, I've obviously got some stuff to figure out. And um, like you said, now obviously we know when Renee's kind of due date and stuff is and that. um, So, yeah, it's cleared up some stuff, but it's also opened up a new new book of some some, uh, interesting things we've got to figure out time-wise. 
Well, you had said last week that you didn't think you would take your wife and family. So is that possibly going to change? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, we haven't got all, like, all the exact information on um, what it looks like in Orlando if it ends up happening. Um, there's been talk of, of no family. There's been talk of family, like, later on in the tournament when, when teams start to kind of leave and obviously space opens up. Um, but, again, like, am I willing to risk... Jacob's health or Renee being pregnant, her health, and, and obviously Miller as well, but with, with Jacob being a bit more compromised, um, absolutely not. So um, from that point of view, obviously I I'll, I'll, would much rather them stay and, and be safe and comfortable at home. Um, we've thought of the idea of, of maybe them going back to Australia for a little while, um, but the difficult part with Australia is... Um, and to the smart-ass people that are going to write coronaviruses in Australia too, I do know that. I'm not silly. Um, you have to quarantine for, for two weeks in a hotel if you fly back to Australia. And obviously with a pregnant wife and two four-year-old, near four-year-olds, that's pretty hard to do. It's hard enough in a house to, to quarantine, never mind in a hotel. So you can apply for special exemptions to be able to go to your house and you have to obviously promise and guarantee you won't leave your house for the first two weeks which obviously Renee would be more than happy to do so we're, we're going to apply for that and see if uh, if we can get um, them potentially back to our house and if we can maybe they just go home for, for a little bit and I'll, I'll fly home as soon as we're done but um, yeah like I said it's, it's thrown um, a few things in the works just for us to think about timelines and frames of where they're going to be and where I'm going to be so do the players get a lot of information on, on what the plan is, or do you basically know what's in the media, or do you know a little more than us and you're just you know, keeping it to yourself? I mean, I'm sure there's some players that are getting all the information. I have no doubt about that. And I know there's a little Australian over in Utah that's not getting much. <laughs> um, obviously, we, we like Chris and those guys are on the, on the board or with the president or, or whatever his exact role is. I don't want to disrespect his role because it's extremely important, but um, I don't actually know what his official title is, um, but he's very important. So obviously he, he would know and um, I'm sure there's other guys on that board and stuff that, that would know a lot more information, but um, again, they're still obviously figuring out dates and um, the Players Association has been doing calls with, with every team. We've, we've had our call um, a few days ago. So you do get, you obviously get some information. That's why I know of kind of around about days or dates and stuff like that. But um, obviously it's not locked. No, no, nothing's locked in. So um, until I'm assuming like Woj or someone comes out and says it, then it's probably not true until, <laughs> until Woj tweets it. So I was thinking about this being camped in Orlando for you is this going to be like your Olympic experiences where you go to a particular city and you stay there, whatever, maybe four to six weeks, play games and go back and then play games again, that type of thing? Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, more or less, I guess. Um, obviously, we're, we're going to be in a, a campus or a hub or whatever they call it. Um, I don't know exactly what that looks like in terms of what we're allowed to do or not, if we're allowed to leave, if we're allowed to, uh, I would assume it's, um, reasonably strict on, on not leaving and um, 
I think the NBA and the Players Association will do everything in their, their power to make it as, um, I guess, as comfortable as possible so that we don't want to leave, so that we're not risking ourselves and, and other players and, and other teams and stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll kind of just go to the, the games and, again, I'm assuming, like, no fans, probably a very limited few people in the arena um, play the game and, yeah, go back to the hotel, which obviously all the other teams are going to be same. I think they, they said there's three or four of the hotels on the campus or whatever, so we'd obviously be split between the hotels and... Um, win or lose to someone and then probably sit next to him at dinner because that's the only <laughs> option we're going to have. <laughs> uh, so have you have you been to Disney World in Orlando? No, I haven't been to Disney World anywhere. Okay. Yeah, I, I haven't either, but I think there's more than three or four hotels from what I've read. <laughs> the Disney, well, this, the this Disney folks the, in the... Be- the this is the Disney World sports campus or whatever, mm-hmm. though. It's not actually Disney World itself. I'm not going to be like riding on the Mickey Mouse ride <laughs> between games. Um, so it's a di- I, I've never been. I, someone someone said, or I read on Twitter, it might have even been Donovan or something, they used to play like the AAU tournaments there because mm-hmm. it's a bunch of courts and stuff like that. So there's obviously a, no- a number of hotels. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to be like riding the Indiana Jones <laughs> roller coaster in between. I feel sick from that anyway, so... <laughs> Are you glad that it's going to come back? I mean, I'm glad I get to do my job. Like, I, I love playing. I love playing for the Jazz. It's, um, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I've, I've, I've loved my whole six years here. And to be able to put on a Jazz uniform and represent the state and, and the team and the owners and the fans and, and obviously, like, for me, Australia and stuff like that, I absolutely love playing. And, um it's been a really weird time not playing and not even being able to go to the facility. Um, it's been a, a weird, like, mini off-season. And um, I think everyone will be... Obviously, there's going to be the guys that feel a different way and, and I still have a, a bit of a weird feeling about it, but um, I don't want to be away from my, my family for two or three months or whatever whatever the time frame is and all that. But... Um, it's also uh, as as it is like it is what it is and I'm going to do my job and I want to do it well and um, I'll be excited to, to if we get to that point and get to put the jersey back on and, and go out run out there with my, my teammates I, I'd love to go out and do it so um, I don't want to get too excited about potentially playing if, if, in case it does because we like I said we it's not definite yet. There's been dates thrown out and all that, but they haven't actually, until they actually say we're playing, it's, um, you're kind of in the same mindset of just doing what we have to do every day and waiting for, for some answers. And then, yeah, once we get that, that go-ahead, I, I'll be really excited to get back out there. So what's the fewest number of people you've played in front of? How odd is this going to be as it kind of sinks in? <laughs> it's going to be bizarre. Um, I mean, I played in, even playing in Granada my first year in Europe was a very small team in a very small city, and I don't even know what the stadium held, but it always felt reasonably quiet in there um, in terms of fan. Like, there wasn't that much fans, so even if they make noise, it's... Um, 
but even that was still felt like a few thousand, three or four thousand or something. That it was just a, a big arena that was wasn't really filled. Um, I, I mean, I've I've played in games at World uh, World Cups and, and Olympics where you play against a, a very small country that's that's not as good as what a lot of other teams are, and there's obviously people aren't buying two, three hundred dollar tickets, whatever they are, to go and watch. So, um, but even then, we have like a few hundred Australian fans that come and scream their heads off. So this will be the, <laughs> I mean, probably since like high school or something, this will be the least I've probably played in front of. But um, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be really bizarre. It's the whole, for me, the whole thing is, is going to be really weird. Just having, having this long a break. And then obviously at some point we're going to get told we're either playing or not. And obviously if we are playing, then you've got to kind of flip your mindset into like you've got to get going like you've got to get your body right and make sure you're ready to go and, and obviously um, I think it was last week or the week before we were talking about injury wise there's, there's been other sports start up that have have been hit pretty hard with, with some injuries um, the AFL in Australia which is our biggest sport I think they're starting next Thursday so it'll be interesting to see injury wise what, what those guys kind of go through because that's a a lot of running over a long, like a long distance as well, and um, it's just a, it's just a really bizarre time uh, at the moment. Yeah, that's interesting when you say get your body ready because you've been doing this for so many years and you do it with the clock as you whirl into August and September and then you're ready to go yep. by October and that's a pattern. How do you how do you think this is going to be that much different because you're not going to have that. You're not going to ease into it in this, in, in that respect because you're going to really just jump right into it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think dang, a few of the, the calls or, or feedback and stuff we got is Chris and those guys from our point of view are, are fighting for enough time to make sure we have enough time to get our, our bodies right because we can't and, and the fans don't want that either. if I if I went and we started the playoffs next week it's just not it's not going to be good basketball either so um, obviously finding that right uh, time frame of, of giving us however many weeks it is to, to get right and, and, and feel ready to play and like you said I mean, for, for a lot of us, for our whole lives and careers, it's I'll finish the season with the Jazz and I know I've got three weeks off and then I have to get back into it because I'm going to start with the national team and then you finish with the national team and you've got two weeks to come back, to get back to Utah and then you start in a week once you get back. There's always a time frame behind something and um, that's why this has been so hard because we've been sitting kind of waiting to, to, to be given a date. Like if they... They say we're playing on July 15, and at least we've got a date to, to, to look at. Um, so, and that's not me saying I know we're playing July 15 because I have no idea. Um, but once you, once you get given a date, and, and like I said, a lot of us have have lived off have lived off kind of people telling us what to do and where to be at a certain time. We get a schedule, and that's what we um, that's what we live by. So, uh, yeah, we'll be. It's been a really weird time, and, and like I said, once we get that that date of, of if we're going to play or not, then uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to move forward. So individual voluntary workouts have been okayed, and I get that not everybody wants to go into you know different teams' facilities. It's different for de- different teams across the league. From yourself to talking to your teammates to maybe talking to people you know around the league. 
do guys feel like they're in better shape than they were a couple weeks ago, or is this just kind of words and the whole ramping up thing hasn't started yet? Um, I mean, I don't know everybody's – like some of the facilities have been open for, for a while, I think. Uh-huh. Um, not not a long, long time, but like a, a fair amount of time. So um, I don't know when ours officially opened, but I didn't come for the first bit of it as – um, I was very uh, open with and um, I'm actually parked right here now in front of the door um, which has been jacked open so I don't have to touch it which is so nice of them um, but no you, I mean I've, I've felt better as the, the weeks have gone on I at the start of it you like when we first got back from OKC basketball and, and working out was the furthest thing from my mind I could think of so um, had a bit of time off, and then you kind of slowly get back into it, which obviously takes a bit of time. And, uh, and now um, this is my second week of coming into the facility. Um, I started coming last week, and then yeah, just getting up and down the court a bit, and, and being able to run on on the floor, and obviously a very familiar place to me. Um, I've, I've felt better and better every time. I've I keep waking up expecting to be really sore and, and tired, but I've, I've felt really good. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be ready to go if, if we do end up playing, um, as will, will a lot of guys, I think. So you're going to obviously not have Bogdanovich. Expectations are going to be low. Is that going to maybe increase fun and maybe you can have an opportunity to surprise people? I don't know whose expectations are low, but... Um, for us, nothing nothing changes. Obviously, Boyan's been a huge part of, of our our success to, to date, um, and we'll obviously miss him. But um, I mean, the story of my our life at the Jazz since I've been here has, has been injuries, unfortunately, and um, we've had a fair amount, really. Um, just little little things and little times. We've obviously had guys miss miss at different times, and. The, the mentality the whole time is, has been that next man up and you just um, it's not on on one person to go out there and, and average 20 and, and play all of Boyan's minutes and shoot all his shots and then do what he does to, to help our team but we've, we've got to obviously spread out that load and um, everyone everyone takes a bit of responsibility from it so uh, I think we talked about it last week or the week before we one of you asked if it would be harder to play without Boyan or harder just coming back to play, and I think coming back to just play is, is a lot harder than figuring out how to how to not play with, with a player because we've still got however many, nine of our ten rotation players or whatever playing, um, and we all just pick up the load from Boyan, and hopefully we can do that well and, and obviously kind of keep rolling like we were before this uh, this whole thing kind of shut down. All right, well, you got to get into your uh, workout, so we will let you go, Joe. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week, and Woj will have provided us all more clarity by then. <laughs> Isn't it sad that we just have to wait for Woj? <laughs> as much as I, I love Woj, but it's sad that we have to wait for him. He did tweet out October 12 for Game 7 of the NBA Finals, so there's that. Oh, that'll be after my birthday. I'll be so we'll talk to you on the 13th. <laughs> no, we'll talk to you on the 13th after you win it all. Trust me, if we win it all, you do not want – I'm not talking to anybody because I'll be in the worst shape possible. <laughs> so I'll be uh, celebrating extremely.
extremely hot if that happens. <laughs> okay. All right, Joe. Thanks. I'll start you on the 14th, then. Yeah, right after he recovers. Yeah, give, give me a few days to, uh, to catch up on some sleep. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Appreciate it. There's Joe Ingles making his weekly visit. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines coming up. 